0: Welcome to the St Emeline's podcast. I'm Ian Beardsall and we're here again at the London Trauma Conference. We've just taken a coffee break after an excellent morning in the main theatre and I've managed to grab Professor Tim Draycott, who's a consultant obstetrician from Bristol, who's just done an excellent discussion on trauma and pregnancy but covered quite a lot of other topics too. Tim's very kindly agreed to take a bit of time to go through some of the key learning points that he had from his talk and we'll try and crack through as many of those as we can in as shorter time as possible. Tim, thanks so much for doing this. Um, If maybe we start with the key learning points from the trauma side of things, because you did cover a huge amount in your talk. If there were any key messages you could say to emergency physicians out there about how to manage the pregnant patient in trauma, what would they be?
1: I think the key thing is what's best for the mother is best for the baby. So it's really important to resuscitate the mother, ensure that she's absolutely fine, and then very often the baby will take care of itself. Don't be afraid to actively resuscitate the mother. The only difference really between, let's say, CPR in pregnant and non-pregnant women is that because the gravid uterus presses on the aorta and the vena cava, then it's really important just to tilt the woman slightly over to the left so that that gravid uterus tilts off the a and Vena Cava, and that makes chest compressions much more effective at CPR. It also makes venous return and blood flow much more effective too. The additional difference is that after four minutes of unsuccessful CPR, then we would recommend perimortem section, and the delivery of the infant is to try and improve the outcome for the mother. So therefore the gestation, certainly anything over 24 weeks, we would deliver the baby. And I think... My final message really would be that early liaison with the obstetricians would be a useful thing, uh, and I think in working in big centres as most of us do, then ED yeah, should definitely make early contact with us, and we'll come over and help sort out anything we can.
0: So, Tim. We're simple people in emergency departments, although you made it sound like obstetricians were simple people too. So I think we should get on really well. It sounds like the the tilting we can do, we don't need any fancy kit. You can have a, a, a wedge, a Cardiff wedge, but you can yep. just use your knees. It's not a big
1: pillow, yep.
0: anything in particular. And then so four minutes or so, that's the point. And the key is really maternal survival rather than fetal survival. And that's the aim. We spent this morning talking about two occasions which are rare, really, paediatric trauma and obstetric trauma, and you mentioned about your interest in simulation. Is there anything that emergency physicians and pre-hospital physicians can do to prepare themselves for what is a a really rare event?
1: I I think trauma is extremely rare, particularly penetrating trauma. There is some blunt trauma from motor vehicle accidents. One thing I would think is a useful thing to do, which we've done with our pre-hospital programme, which is the the PROMPT programme, Uh, practical obstetric multi-professional training is we now have a pre-hospital programme that we train paramedics, ED staff to manage and do the first aid management certainly of a number of five or six obstetric scenarios that can easily be managed well by ED staff uh, if they come across them immediately prior to us arriving. If we get the the early resuscitation and the early management correct, actually, that has long-term consequences for the mother and baby. Uh, most of these things are very simple. So for example, eclampsia, summarized summarized fitting with high blood pressure pregnancy, then we would definitely advocate magnesium sulfate, not diazepam. And we know that makes a significant difference to particularly the recurrence rate of fits. Uh, similarly, I think if you had someone came in with very heavy bleeding, Don't be shy to get the fluid resuscitation going early. Cord prolapse or all the other things that can happen in the community and come into ED can be managed well
0: with significant benefits for the mother and baby. So really there's a handful of conditions that we need to know about as emergency physicians with a few key early steps that we can do which will help longer term. You mentioned eclampsia. You talked about magnesium. You said specifically in your talk that You'd recommend avoiding diazepam?
1: No, it's mainly on the base that magnesium is much more effective. And diazepam sedates both the mother and baby. So magnesium is much, much more effective in big randomised studies, reduces the recurrence of further fits, although most fits are single. So we would say let's use the right thing that does the right thing for the mother. Now, certainly the prompt style of training, I always say let's make the right way the easy way. Let's make it easy to do the right thing. Why should it be a memory test at the most difficult, stressful time, particularly for ED when you have to see such a, a huge range of conditions? It seems odd that we'd expect it to be a, an obstetrician as well as a cardiologist, as well as an tr- orthopedic surgeon and all the other specialties you clearly engage with. So what we've done is develop five or six very simple algorithms for the five or six most common conditions you're going to see in obstetrics. And certainly in the paramedics in the southwest keep those in... There's laminated A5 size, they keep them in their maternity bag so when they are called to an emergency, they can start pre-hospital care as part of the continuum of that woman's care. And I think, actually, that would
0: usefully be adopted by ED departments too. So medicine's not a memory test. Definitely and not. it sounds, hopefully, this is one of those initiatives that you've set up in the southwest, but would be happy to share... Yeah. And we can put these onto the, the website so that people can have those if they need them. It, it's a bit like a checklist, I'm imagining.
1: Yes, but uh, I'm very much of the view that checklists are not magic. Checklists in of themselves don't actually improve care. It's the implementation of those checklists and algorithms that make a difference. So we'd be very keen not to just for people just to download the algorithms, but for departments to engage with us in training and implementation as much as the physical presence of those algorithms.
0: And one of the themes throughout your talk was also about teamwork and how we work together, both with anaesthetic colleagues, obstetric colleagues, emergency physicians. And so reiterating all of that throughout, in fact, the whole of this conference has been really important. Just a couple of very other quick things. You mentioned some really interesting learning points about very rare occurrences, but some take-home points about cord prolapse and how we can best manage that if that was to turn up on, uh, in the middle of the night into our emergency department?
1: So that's right. Uh, and cord prolapse is a relatively common complication of usually when the waters go suddenly and the baby's either breech or, 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 or not completely in the pelvis, then the cord can kind of drop out. The key problem is that the change in temperature as the cord hits the outside air, in, in normal physiological birth, that change in temperature puts the blood vessels into spasm so that the baby doesn't exsanguinate. Now, clearly, we'd prefer that not to happen before the baby's born. So we'd recommend just a wet swab, just put the cord back in the vagina, and the wet swab would just keep it in the vagina. We'd also recommend filling the bladder. Um, We'd just put a Foley catheter in the bladder. The key issue there is if you can use a blood-giving set rather than the standard fluid-giving set, then a blood-giving set, the lure lock of a blood-giving set, fits exactly inside a Foley catheter. And you can just run a 500-bag, you know, whatever crystalloid you like, into the bladder, spigot off the catheter, and the increase in bladder height pushes the baby's head up and stops it compressing the uh, cord. So that's definitely a useful thing to do.
0: I think that was a really top tip for one of those, log it in the memory, to bring it out at that point of emergency to fill the bladder. I think it's one of those times where everyone in the room might look at you a bit funny, but when everything turns out okay, you get the nods of appreciation.
1: Well, certainly our community lives now keep blood-giving sets in their birth maternity bags because you can give any fluid through a blood giving set be that you know fluids crystalloids, you know through a venflon or actually use a foley in the uh, rare circumstances you might need that
0: i think the last thing we might just touch on was obstetric hemorrhage of any type I think this is an easy one for us to remember because we're giving tranexamic acid for everything at the moment and it's become a real part of our armamentarium. Mm -hmm. But I think obstetrics have been giving tranexamic acid for a a lot longer than we have. Probably
1: probably not as much as... uh, Certainly the data is not as strong as the CRASH-1 and CRASH-2 studies, but I think all of surgery is moving over to the possible use of tranexamic acid prophylactically uh, as well as for the management of hemorrhage. One thing I would say, just a caution, yes, tranexamic acid, uh, after the baby's born... Before the baby's born, I think you have to be slightly more cautious. But certainly if there was significant trauma, significant bleeding, and the baby hadn't been born yet, then I think tranexamic acid is probably
0: a useful thing to do. So either a large volume hemorrhage in a traumatic injury or postpartum hemorrhage are really the times oh, you'd think of reaching for Absolutely. It. Tim, that's excellent. Thank you so much for giving up your time. I know you're rushing off back to, to Bristol. Is there anything else you want to try and get across to the emergency physicians who listen to this podcast about obstetrics and anything that we can do to maybe work together or how we should be working together in the future?
1: I think it's definitely worth engaging in effective simulation programmes. I have a rather bee in my bonnet, that many of these simulation programmes have never been shown to be effective. And, and there's good data now from both the UK and the Netherlands now showing that some simulation programmes actually increase harm, not diminish them. And I think we need to, to, to make sure that our training is effective and we'd be very keen, I think, for people to engage with us in the pre-hospital prompt programme uh, to increase the liaison engagement of ED, paramedics and pre-hospital staff with us in maternity.
0: Tim, thanks so much for your time and a, a really entertaining talk. Many of the jokes we can't repeat here, but uh, if they ever get a chance to hear Tim speak, it's uh, not only education but, uh, but highly amusing too. Thank you for taking the time for joining us. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thank you.